With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This, this, this is, 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 is Fight Disciples. We are gathered here today for the Fight Disciples UFC and Boxing Talk. Evening, you're listening to Radio City Talk. It is Tuesday night, and as ever, on Tuesday nights on Radio City Talk, it is Fight Disciples, myself and Nick, getting stuck in uh, to an hour's worth of Merseyside boxing slash fighting chat, because last week, obviously, we had Paddy the Baddy on the show, so we catered for the mixed martial art audience. There's going to be a little bit on mixed martial arts throughout the course uh, of the next hour, and today's a little bit different. Normally, we have a guest on the show, someone from the Merseyside boxing scene, but we thought what we'd do, we'd have a little bit of a break of that. And debate stuff. You know, like on Question Time, Nick? You know what I mean? But Dimbleby. That's what we're going for tonight, mate. A little bit... Something a little bit different. And they're all kind of... going on, is it? You're going to turn that spotlight on me now, are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, but it's full up. Seeing as that we're in the, like a, a, a dodgy political landscape at this moment in time, where all these uh, leaders of various parties are on TV debating various bits, I thought we'd do a little bit, but more on the fight scene. Sounds good. No, are, you, so, are, you, are you pro fox hunting or, like, or what? Where, where are you on the fox? Oh, sorry, are we talking fight sports or are we just talking yeah, in general? Yeah, yeah, not just, yeah. Uh, we're staying away from anything political, mate, because we'll get shut down. We're just going to stick to what we actually know, all right? <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Um, all these topics that we're going to talk about um, have kind of come from the last 24 to 48 hours. I threw this up on social media yesterday just to see where people who follow us at Fight Disciples on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram were at with the topics that I wanted to talk about. Part one is inspired uh, by Jazza Dickens at the weekend. Obviously, Jazza was on last week's show with us uh, talking about defending his, uh, his British uh, Lonsdale belt. Now... <clears throat> He obviously lost that at the weekend, but he lost it in what I would class as unfair circumstances. I don't know where you're at with this, Nick, right? So those that don't know, Jazza was beaten on a technical decision at the weekend. He was behind on the cards at the point of an accidental head clash. The question that I am throwing out, and please get involved with the show via social media on this, is do you think that is fair? And if you don't think that is fair... How do we make that system a fairer system going forward? I look at that at the weekend, and Jazza didn't have the rounds in the bank. Granted, he started extremely slow in that fight. But at the point of the stoppage in the eighth round, when they had an accidental head clash, Jazza was coming on strong. I thought he won the last two rounds. There's uh, enough rounds in the tank there for him to obviously accumulate and get an overall points decision if that's the way that that fight was going to go if they went the full 12. So stopping it at eight because of the accidental head clash and him losing a belt, that's the key issue that I've got here, him losing a belt, I think is unfair. Where are you at? Um, It was the ninth round. Uh, let me just was it? Put, yeah, it was the ninth. It was uh, one and a half minutes, one fifteen into the ninth, or something like that. But y- you're absolutely right. I think Jazza was well in the ascendancy in the in the previous two rounds. Um, I think it was a, a slow start from both. I watched it back again, actually yesterday on Monday, and um, you know, I think I think I was swayed a little bit on Saturday. There was that much. There was that many fights on Saturday night, as you know. We watched two <laughs> two events in the UK, and then we watched the UFC event as well. So. 
Uh, but when I watched it back on yesterday, I didn't actually have Jazza that far behind from the first four or five. I thought he'd lost the first four or five rounds convincingly, but when I looked at, looked back at it, the first and second rounds, there's not much in them anyway. So yeah. by the time it got to the stoppage, I, I think I probably had Ward one, maybe two or a push-up. But obviously you've got three rounds to go, and you, you know, four rounds to go, sorry, nine, 10, 11, 12. And the four most important rounds, certainly in terms of Jazza Dickens' perspective as someone who's been the British champion, as defending champion, that someone that is trying to take his young challenger into deep waters. You know, that was clearly their game plan, was feel their way into the fight, let the young lad punch himself out a little bit and come on strong down the stretch. And that seems to be what they were doing. Yes, they were behind uh, Everton Red Triangle team, obviously Paul Stevo in, uh, in Jazza's corner. But to, to have the fight end the way it did, and I think also going into that fight, obviously Jazza had fought against um, Thomas Ward's brother previously yeah. in, a, in a previous British title defence. And in that fight, um, Jazza was accused afterwards of, of using his head quite a lot and using his head to, to hit Martin Ward, and Martin Ward apparently needed a lot of stitches after the fight, and there was a lot of backwards and forwards about how Jazza had approached that fight. Well, this this wasn't like that at all. This was totally clean. There was no head clashing. There was no there was no conversation in there in terms of, not like Liam Williams versus Liam Smith, Smith where both those guys were using their head quite a lot. You know, hmm. Jazza wasn't fouling in this fight. It was a complete accidental head clash. He caught Ward with a cuff and right hook, and as he did, he kind of threw him over to the floor. But as he fell past him, they had this head clash. But unfortunately, you know, he couldn't continue with the cut. This is my, this is this is the defense really. Ward couldn't continue with that cut. It was too bad. It was leaking straight into his eye. The fight had to be stopped. So if if we don't go to a technical decision at that point, what else do we do? That's fi- that's fair because Ward was winning the fight. Well, for me, yes, you are right. He was winning the fight, and you are 100% right. Again, with him, uh, with that slash on his eyelid, he, he genuinely couldn't continue. So the, the fight has to be stopped. We, we both agreed there. It's just the result at the end of it, when there is a belt on the line, and, yeah. and, and how prestigious the Lonsdale belt is. Obviously, you defend it three times, you get to keep it. And that was, as, uh, as Jazz was saying last week, that was his second defence after winning it for a second time. And you think to yourself, to lose it in that manner is extremely unfair. Is a no contest a more fairer way of of scoring that fight? But then you've probably got the argument towards uh, Tommy Ward to say, well, hang on a minute, I, I, it's not my fault. I dominated a fight. I put my foot on the gas from, part, uh, from round one. I've got the rounds in the bank. We know if there is an accidental head clash, then we will go to the scorecard. So therefore, I've done what I'm, I'm supposed to do. Just because Jazz's game plan wasn't to do that, that's not my fault. So there is an argument for that. But I just think when someone's got a belt and they are defending a belt to lose it in that way, because that, that loss, all right, I think there's too much in boxing made of losses because... Everybody, like, you look at Floyd Mayweather, and that's obviously the pinnacle of boxing, I suppose, where everybody's got, oh, he's, he's fought 49 times and he hasn't been beaten yet. Everybody wants to emulate that. Joe Calzaghe, obviously, was undefeated throughout his whole career. But I think too much is made of losses. I mean, we've seen some great fighters down the years that have lost on multiple occasions that have gone on to do extremely unbelievable things in the world of boxing. Um, but with this particular one, with you having to defend three times to keep your Lonsdale belt, I think it's extremely unfair that he has now lost that belt and he's he's kind of off the back of not just the weekend but the previous fight with Rigon. Now that's two defeats now on the spin for, for Jazza. And it, 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 even though we know the circumstances around this particular defeat, he still slips down yeah. uh, 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 the, the pecking order and his career's on hold because of that. 
I think what we've got to see, and I think they both fighters alluded to it after the fight, and certainly Steve Bunce and some of the commentary team were alluding to it also. And, and it brings us back similarly to the Liam Williams, Liam, Liam Smith fight that we saw early in the year, which was again uh, stopped because of a cut, but it's slightly different. It was Liam Williams' corner that pulled him out. Hmm. Rather than the, the cut itself or the referee stopping the fight, it was Gary Lockett's corner man made the decision over the medical team. He just said he didn't want him to fight anymore. But because Williams was ahead on the scorecards, slightly different there because the referee never stopped the fight or the doctor never stopped the fight. He yeah. didn't need to go to the scorecards because Gary Lockett made the decision. They pulled him out. Yeah, they retired him. Yeah. Let's pull him out. The difference here, of course, was it was the referee that pulled out uh, Thomas Ward, so it yeah. goes to the scorecards. That was the benefit that they had in this in this case. But similar to Smith Williams, you'd expect, and then they alluded to it as I say at ringside on Saturday night that these guys have got to go at it again because this is unfinished business. You know, Ward has got the belt wrapped around his waist right now. Yes, but he, he got it on a technicality. This is, the fight wasn't finished. The fight never came to a, a, a you know a. a, a, a Complete satisfaction. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, you know, we, we've well, all come away. And everyone's disappointed, so we've got to see well, a rematch. So why make a decision and give a conclusion to the fight and actually implement a result on it when nobody's actually happy with that result? Why not just say no contest, but you the, you, you rematch straight away as soon as you're fit, as soon as that eyes sorted, both of you, your next fight is each other, and you go at it again. I think it's because in this instance, obviously, it was a complete accident, but previously, you know. Like William Smith, you know, there was some bad use of the head in there. Those guys kind of were leaving the head in a little bit. It got a bit ugly. The referee lost control of that fight, as we've discussed on previous shows. So had that gone to a technical decision, it may have been a bit more clear in terms of the Williams corner would have argued, well, we were ahead. Mm. We got the decision. We're not going in with Liam Smith again because he was using his head. They were both using yeah. their head, for instance. You know, uh, so if, if there was some disagreement in this case, I think everyone just held their hands up and went, it was an accident. It was a complete and utter freak, freak accident head clash. We all accept this isn't a suitable decision. We're going to have to do it again. I think that's what we've got to see. But I think, <clears throat> obviously... It, Boxing, we've got to have rules, and if it goes past four rounds, then a fight which is stopped because of a cut or because of an accidental foul like this will go to a judge's scorecards. That's in the that's in the you know the the Queensbury rules. That's there for the reason. Hmm. If the fight stops before four rounds, then it's called a, a technical. You no, know, it's called a no contest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but if it goes beyond four rounds, then you think, well, these guys have, have worked for four rounds. Somebody should be ahead by now. There can be a decision made, which is why a judge or judges in this instance or, or, or if it's a smaller fight uh, just a referee that's why they will lodge their decision at the end of every round they will announce who there's won each particular round to mm. a third party at the end of every round so they can keep tally for that reason otherwise they just get to the end of the fight and go okay who did you have so they do it yeah. on this basis so to make it longer. plus the, I, I can I can understand uh, and everything that you're saying I understand why it's there and and there is Obviously, it is there to be able to defend a fighter. For example, a fighter could dominate a fight for, let's say, 10 rounds, yeah, and yeah. be well ahead on the scorecards, and the opponent knows full well this, and then all of a sudden decides to start leaving his head in there a little bit in the hope that there is an accidental head clash. And if, there, if you wouldn't then go to a technical decision where somebody actually gets a, 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 a victory off the back of a, an accidental head clash and a cut... Yeah. If, if if it was what I'm suggesting, a no contest, then people who were behind on the scorecards, I am guessing, yeah. would maybe bend the rules and try and use it in their favour to nullify that contest and come again another day. Yeah. I understand why it's there. Yeah. I just I just think 
losing your Lonsdale belt in a situation that we saw at the weekend is incredibly unfair, especially when the fight was just about to start to get interesting. Because for Jazza, it was just yeah, about to get interesting for Jazza. It was already yeah. interesting for Ward because he was ahead. So well, well, as far as he's me, concerned, well, yeah. he's done his job. He, he's he's his, he's implemented his game plan first. He's got ahead on the scorecards. He's done what he's meant to do. Whether Jazza meant to start slow, whether he did mean to take him to deep waters and then and then drown him there, you know, and use his experience, maybe that was the game plan. But then it kind of comes back to, you know, um, giving rounds away so early on in fights, which we hear a lot of in boxing these days. Oh, yeah, you yeah. Know, forget about the first row, four rounds. That's when he's good. You're mm. going to come on strong later on. Liam Smith almost paid the price for it against Liam Williams as well, starting slowly. And I think the Jazza Dickens ultimately did pay the price for it on Saturday. Well, on that in itself, I mean, the, the, I always think, you see, to when Anthony Crawley became world champion, where he gave away all those rounds and he allowed his opponent to punch himself out and then all of a sudden, woof, gas has gone and yeah. Ant, can, uh, Ant can put his foot down. There are obviously people that have game plans like that. I mean, we've got the famous rope up situation. The man invented it, you know what I mean? Muhammad Ali, come on, punch yourself out and I'll, I'll take you down the stretch. So I understand those type of game plans. But with these in mind, and we've seen a lot more of it. You mentioned the two Liams. Obviously, we saw the uh, Berto Porter fight. Yes, that wasn't stopped because of a cut. That was stopped because of uh, a knockout. But I said, didn't I, that um, with the excessive use of the heads in that particular fight, I reckon Berto, Berto was stunned by Porter's head at mm-hmm. some point in that, and therefore it was the, the knockout was made an awful lot easier. Yeah. So it is such. It's a grey area for me. It's just too much of a grey area, especially when there's belts on the line. I think it's in- incredibly unfair. And now with it becoming more uh, and more prominent in what we're seeing anyway, with the fights that we're watching, yeah. you would think that tactics would change from trainers and uh, and fighters to say, listen, we're going to have to get these rounds in the bag because you know that this guy uses his head a little bit excessively. And at some point, if it does go to the technical decision, we want to be ahead. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, going into this fight as well, don't forget, you know, Team Ward, Martin obviously fought Martin Ward last year in 2015. And as I say, he came out of that fight with a lot of cuts. There was a lot of complaints about the head clashes. And all the talk running up to the fight last week was the Ward camp saying, you know, we know he uses his head. We know he likes to use his head in there. We're going to be clamping down on that. So that may well have been part of it. I mean, I thought, well, you know, if we can get early rounds in the bank, we know Dickens gets a bit sloppy, gets starts driving forward with his head purely. And I'm not saying Jazzard is a dirty fighter. Far from it. You know, I completely and utterly disagree with that. But that might have been what they were thinking. Let's just get ahead on the scorecard, stay in front. And when he gets desperate, we've already said, we've already made a big point to the fact that he uses his head. And if he does use his head, the referee will jump all over it. Now, it, it just seems to be some kind of weird coincidence that it was an accidental head clash, completely mm-hmm. accidental head clash, that has ultimately uh, you know, ruled the roost in this case and, 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 and stopped what was, you're right, just hot enough to be an absolute crack in the last four rounds. Um, we're going to be talking a little bit more about that um, card in Leeds on our uh, boxing episode, which is available for you to download tomorrow from our website. Fightdisciples.com is the website. Make sure you're on there. Make sure you're subscribing via iTunes uh, because every single Wednesday morning, a, f- uh, a full, complete um, rundown of everything that happened in the world of boxing over the weekend and what's coming up this week with some sensational shows will be on there for you. Episode 101 available in the morning. And I've no doubt we'll be talking at some point about Howard Foster's refereeing, my friend. Uh, that will be on tomorrow's show. So make sure you uh, come and join us for that. That is the card that Jazz 
Gaza uh, was a part of at the weekend uh, in Leeds. Fightdisciples.com for that. Now, there's other stuff to talk about in the world of boxing and the world of mixed martial arts as well, because I'm sure that you're fully aware off the back of uh, UFC 211 at the weekend, uh, we're getting ever so closer to Mayweather versus McGregor. I've got a question on that coming up a little bit later on in the show, so make sure you stick around. However, coming next... Liverpool boxer Paul Smith has been granted um, another world title shot. He's going to be taking on the German champion Tyron Zug uh, in Germany in June. Well done him. Congratulations to him. But does this and the way that this has gone about and the way that the WBA now is developing with the amount of champions in the same weight category, is it starting to diminish that particular title? We're going to be discussing that next on Radio City Talk. You're listening to the Fight Disciples podcast. You're listening to Radio City Talk Tuesday night with us. The award-winning Fight Disciples never tires that, mate, does it? Never, ever tires. Definitely not. I've got the wife polishing the old plastic trophy at home as we speak. <laughs> the old PVC is getting a bit of Mr Sheen on. <laughs> um, don't forget to uh, subscribe to our podcast because on tomorrow's show, there's going to be a few tales um, from our families because Nick's dad's acquired my number this week and he sent me something <laughs> very, very funny indeed. Uh, so make sure you're a part of the show, all right? Fightdisciples.com, that's the website. Get yourself amongst it. Um, now, over the weekend, yes, there was fights on, but uh, probably the biggest story that involves a, a Merseyside boxer is uh, Paul Smith and his opportunity to become the WBA uh, world champion at super middleweight. He's been granted a fight with Tyron Zug, uh, the world champion. Obviously, they're going to have to go over to Germany to do this, but Paul's done that. He's no stranger to doing that with his fights against Arthur uh, Abraham. Uh, this is happening in June. Um, we knew about it Saturday night. Well, we'd known about it for a period of time. It was kind of confirmed in Germany on Saturday night. It was confirmed in the UK on Monday, yesterday. Uh, so congratulations to Paul. Sensational news for him, getting another shot uh, at a world title. Um, but this just then starts to... This story kind of is the catalyst to to me, th- the way I think about the WBA. Because let's be honest, I mean, I've been hypercritical on all our shows about the way that the WBA in particular is run. Now, for those that don't know, there's four what we would class as main sanctioning governing bodies that hold belts in various weight categories. We've obviously got the WBA, the WBO, the IBF, and what we would class on this show, I mean, I'm only speaking for myself, the WBC as being the the, the cherry on top of the cake. If you're the WBC champion, for me at the moment, you are the boy in that particular division. However, back in the day, that used to be the WBA champion. We've got loads of guys down the years that have been the WBA champion, i.e. Uh, Lennox Lewis, that at the time were were renowned as the as the man on, the main man in their particular division because they were the WBA champion. Look at the way that Vladimir Klitschko's attitude towards being the WBA champion was recently with um, Anthony Joshua's class. He wouldn't fight Anthony Joshua unless the WBA sanctioned uh, the fight and put a title on the line for those two boys to go toe to toe at. So it is well renowned historically. However, of late, it started to annoy me, and the reason why it started to annoy me is that we're getting multiple champions. In the same division, we've got a super champion, we've got a regular champion, we've got interim champions, all at the same weight category, which then, for me, starts to diminish the actual prestige of being the champion in that particular division. Not only do we already have four sanctioning bodies that diminish it, we've now got three titles, and sometimes four titles. I mean, Nick, you'll remember this, when Golovkin had a a, a belt, Danny Jacobs had a belt, Mm -hmm. Chris Eubank Jr. had a belt, and some other feather had had another interim belt. They had two interim interim champions in the, in the middleweight division mm-hmm. at the exact same time. Four champions. How, how can this be a thing now? 
I know that money's involved here, and this is and this is the, the main premise of it all. But surely someone's got to get hold of it at some point and say, "Listen, you're taking the mick now, lads. One champion, one division. End of." It's uh, it's ridiculous. It's been going on forever. Unfortunately, it's you know it's <clears throat> certainly throughout our entire generation. You know, you've got the WBC, the WBA, the IBF, the WBO. And then I guess the IBO, and you know, and back in the day, there was the WBU, there was you know the, the WBF. There's been a multi multitude IBC, of yeah. if we're going to go all the way back, there's tons, and, and that's just the men's. You know, if you look at the women's, there's all other kinds of craziness as well. So, but the, you know, for, throughout my entire entire career of, of covering fight sports for the last two decades, you know, there's really been there's the four big fish really: the WBC, the WBA, the IBF. And the WBO, they're, they're the four premier belts. They're the, you know, you, you hold one of them belts, you, you're genuinely, you know, a world champion in my opinion. The WBA, you're right. It was traditionally alongside the WBC. You know, you you would kind of, in my mind, it was kind of number two. You know, it was jostling hmm. with with IBF like for the. But basically, if you, you know, if you're WBA champion of the world, you are legitimately a, a world champion. And just to see the way they're doing it now, and and, they, and they're not the only ones. You know, the WBC have interim champions, have Pan American champions, have Asian WBC champions, silver and, and diamond, the silver and all champion, yeah. the diamond champion. <laughs> it's ridiculous, and it's absolutely flooding. And you're right; it's it's purely about money. It's purely because TV broadcasters and promoters they like to have a title fight at the top of the card, and the, the likes of the WBC and IBF and WBA, all these other brands, have, have realised that the more belts they have, the more sanctioning fees they can receive. Uh, unfortunately, and that's that's kind of the way the sport's going. But it's it's completely diluting the sport. You're right. How, how one world governing body body sorry can have four recognised champions like in that instance in, at middleweight with WBA last year is just absolutely ridiculous. Regarding the rankings as well, this is another thing that gets me going, and this is where the the story with Paul comes in, right? Because listen, I'm a big fan of Paul, and I wish him all the best. And I wish anybody, yeah. any, if you get if you get a world title shot, I wish you the best, mate. Get on with it, go and win it. Especially with you being a British guy, especially with you being a scouter That's with us doing say, this yeah. for Merseyside. Yeah. Get on there and and get it done. I wish you all the best. However, for those that aren't, obviously. Thinking like I think that are uh, listen, you're British, you're a scouser, whatever. Get in there and get it done. There will be people that just like to look at it in layman's terms. Let's just say, and I can understand their argument. For example, the WBA in April, Paul Smith is not ranked in the in the top fifteen. No. Martin Murray is. And the reason why Martin Murray is in there is because he hadn't fully stepped down uh, his weight category. He fights in the middleweight uh, category last time out uh, against uh, Rosado, Gabe Rosado here in uh, Liverpool, and therefore he relinquishes his, uh, his status in the super middleweight rankings. And therefore, for me, it just looks like a straight swap then, that the WBA have done a straight swap. Right, we've taken Martin Murray out. Paul Smith hasn't fought. He hasn't beaten anybody in those rankings to warrant a place to step straight back up there. And all of a sudden, he turns up at, at number five ranked in the in the WBA. Now, for me, sound, whatever opportunity knocks. However, that opportunity has come about. We know how that opportunity has come about uh, because some money is exchanged somewhere. Someone in the WBA has had their pockets lined, and they are in effect looking after Tyron Zug. Now, let me just go over that because just in case Paul's listening and other people are listening, I just want to go over what I mean by that. Is that we know that sanctioning bodies have their favourite champions. WBA have theirs, IBF have theirs. It's, it's not just the WBA, they all have their favourite champions. Now, the WBA must, I'm guessing here, must 
like Tyron Zug. They want to look after Tyron Zug. Tyron Zug's their champion. So if the Sowlands, who are the who are Tyron Zug's um, promoters, want a particular um, voluntary fight, then they can go to the WBA and say, listen, we're looking for a voluntary fight. We're thinking Paul Smith. Paul Smith has got a great name in Germany. He's had these great fights with uh, uh, Arthur Abraham down the year. Yeah, he's done extremely well. The German fans know him and they actually and they love him, right? So yeah. this is what we want to do. Now, I'm guessing the thought process behind this is this. They are seeing Paul Smith as some type of gatekeeper fight to the British market. They want to showcase their guy. Because let's be honest, this is where it's at at the moment. It's here in Britain. They want to showcase their guy, Tyron Zoo, because the majority of casual boxing fans in Britain won't know who this guy is. So, But they'll know who Paul Smith is because he's on Sky every week. So they go, all right, Paul Smith's fighting this guy. We'll watch that. We'll see what happens. They're hoping that Tyron Zoo gives Paul Smith a good idea. The British market sees it, and that is a gatekeeper fight then to open up maybe James DeGale at some point, because that's the big money fight i suppose at super middleweight now in order to do that to have that voluntary situation you've got to be able to pick from somebody that he's ranked and sanctioned within the wba rankings and the way you do that if somebody isn't already ranked in those rankings is obviously line somebody's pockets in some way shape or form now that in no way shape or form is paul smith's fault that's not his fault. No, no. It's just the it's just the fact that the German dudes know who he is. And if we're really, really honest, from a business point of view, from a business sense, it makes perfect sense for them to get Paul Smith on that card and obviously issue him with this world title effort. Okay, to the layman, yes, it's corrupt. And yes, it's probably not earned. But that is the way boxing is at this moment in time. It's a business. And that is the way that this business is being run. Yeah, and you know what? We don't know who else has been offered this fight before Paul Smith accepted it. You know, there may well have been other people offered the fight, but people aren't prepared to necessarily take their chance and go over to Germany. Obviously, the situation Paul's in at the moment, you know, a lot of people voiced their concerns over the weekend and kind of expressed the fact that they were surprised that Paul Smith has been has been granted a world title shot. He may not have been choice number one. He may just be the one that's brave enough and in a position in his career where he's running out of options where when an option an opportunity to go to Germany and fight for the world title which would intimidate most British fighters no end Paul Smith done it twice before he's fought Arthur mm. Abram twice before over in Germany so he's been over to America and fought Durrell so you know Paul Smith isn't intimidated about fighting Tyrone Zuzio over in Germany no doubt about it and I guarantee that was a very short conversation when it came through I think the big argument really would be the fact that Paul, you know, he's not top five super middleweight in the UK right now. So for him to get mm. a world title shot, that's why people are, are, are struggling to join the dots together. But you're absolutely mm. right. Why does Tyrone Zouge want to fight Paul Smith? Well, I'll tell you why. Because his younger brother Callum is the yeah, gatekeeper to all these world title belts. You know, if if the rumours are true, then Callum's going to be fighting James DeGale soon. You've got George Groves tied up in title action as well. You know, the, the British super middleweight division is absolutely pumping, kind of like the heavyweight division. This is kind of where it's at like right now. You know, there's so many belts here. It's all happening. So for Tyrone Zouge to get into that market, to break into these big fights over here with Groves, with DeGale, with Eubank Jr., with Callum Smith, you know, he needs a name. And and you're, you're absolutely right. That name and that one guy who's willing to go out there, that's, you know, Paul Smith's lost a couple of world title fights out in Germany. You know, he's getting to the stage in the career now where he realises, OK, these opportunities may not come as frequently anymore. He's had three great wins since he lost to Abram, uh, since he lost to Darrell, sorry. You know, he's got himself back Ward, on track. Ward, Ward sorry. Ward, 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 sorry, yeah, Ward. yeah, he went to America and fought Ward. 
he's got himself back on track. He's made himself available. He's obviously let the Sowlands know, listen, opportunity comes up in Germany. You know the German fans know me. I'm ready to go. I think it's it makes perfect sense. And I just think that the only people that should be upset is, you know, Rocky Fielding, David Brophy, mm. Jamie Cox, you know, Darrell Williams, people like other super middleweights in the UK that you could argue are ranked above Paul Smith. They're the only ones that should be arguing. And I'm not in the peep out of them. I haven't heard any of them complain, which means that either they don't fancy it or they were offered it and turned it down. Hmm. No, fair point. One thing I will say about this particular fight, and he does have uh, huge uh, nuts to to do this, Paul, because... Paul Paul Smith has never, ever been short when it comes to opportunities and has never been short on taking these opportunities as well. And, uh, you know, I think, he, I think he knows himself. If he gets to the end of his career and he doesn't get to put, put a world title belt around his waist, he'll be disappointed. And he will, go, he will be going to Germany to bring this belt back, make no mistake. Well, this is, this is the point that I was just about to make. With what I was saying before about the WBA, that yes, OK, they have their favourites and they are seeing... For them to grant Taron Zug to be able to do this, to fight Paul Smith, to sanction this as a world title fight, they must like Taron Zug yeah. and, uh, uh, to, to, to rank Paul Smith at number five in, in the category at this moment in time. Now, with that in mind, this makes the trip to Germany doubly hard. Because the reason why they like him and the reason why they're sanctioning it is because they want Taron Zug to win, which, as you just said then, opens up that gate to IBF champion James DeGale. If, if uh, Callum Smith becomes a champion, whether it be WBC or IBF, whatever it may be, w- w- it opens up the gate then for unification classes for their, for their guy, the WBA guy, to, to take on these fellas. Mm-hmm. If he beats Paul Smith. Now, obviously, this then makes Paul Smith's task in Germany awfully hard because, obviously, you've got the judges round the side there. They'll know the score. They'll yeah. know the... So, listen, man, you know what I mean? I know we joke... Yeah, exactly. I know we joke about this in the past. And to be fair, I've got all my hand up. We're getting pretty bad at this here in the UK. But you, the, the old saying is you've got to knock somebody out in Germany to get a draw. Yeah. Paul Smith's going to have to... It, this can't go to the judges. I'm sorry. It cannot go to... If it, this goes to the judges... I mean, Paul's been there before. He beat Arthur Abraham first time round. And therefore, he got an absolute stinker of a decision. Yes, it was close. But for me, he got a stinker of a decision. He won that first fight. Second fight, categorically, he didn't. But this one... I don't think this can go to the judges, because if it does, even if Paul batted him for 12 rounds, he's going to get a stinker. I know he's going to get a stinker. So he's going to have to go there, last chance saloon situation, because it is, and he's going to have to stop this kid. Yeah, you may well be right. Um, Obviously, I don't think Paul will be going over there with the same mentality. I think he'll be going over there looking to take the fight to Zouge and to try and drag him into deep water. This is a kid with a decent knockout record. Uh, yeah. Worrying Zouge, worryingly, Zouge didn't seem to be knocking that many people out early in his career, but since he's moved into title class, I think he was W, talking about talking about fragmenting of ben, belts now, but he was <laughs> some kind of youth, WBC youth champion or WBO youth champion or something before he became full champion. Um, and he started knocking people out later in his career. Now, I, I, you know, he's only 25, whether that's his body maturing or, as I say, the fact that he's fighting guys that are actually fighting back. He's getting more opportunities to catch people on the chin. I don't know. But we'll find out if he's for real or not, you know, when, when this fight goes down in June. I'll tell you that now because Paul Smith, as I say, Paul knows, Paul doesn't need me or you or anybody else to tell him that this is it now. This is his last chance saloon. I know we've said that before about mm. Paul Smith and he has this canny ability of getting these big fights. But you know the way he get, do you know why he gets these big fights? Because he answers his phone. Because he's willing to travel. Because he's willing to go to Germany and fight a kid who's, who's 20 and 0 uh, with one draw. A guy that's never lost a fight. That's got a decent knockout record as well. 50 odd percent knockout percentage. 
that's why Paul gets these opportunities because he's willing to put it on the line and go for it. And I tell you now, he will be training like a demon right now, Paul Smith. He will know himself that this is his last chance. He's going out there to win that belt. Or, or, or he may even come back and, if he doesn't win the belt, he may even come back and go, right, okay, that's it now. I'm, I'm going to concentrate on me, on me, uh, you know, me TV career with the, the commentary, which he's doing brilliant at. So he knows this is his last chance, and I think he'll roll a dice, and I think he'll go out on his shield, or he'll catch Zuge on the chin. Let's hope so, man. Good luck to him. Uh, good luck to Paul Smith on that. And uh, by the way, just uh, to finish off our chat about the WBA, um, also in that same weight, uh, weight category to become, again, another WBA world champion. Good luck to George Groves in oh, two yeah. weeks. Well, that's right. Chudanov's the super champion. <laughs> ridiculous. It's ridiculous, isn't it? George yeah. Groves that's and Paul that's Smith that's could that. both be WBA yeah. champions. By of summer. the same weight division. Of the same ridiculous. weight division. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. So there you go. That's our thoughts on the WBA, but um, in no way, shape or form are we blaming Paul Smith for that. Opportunity is knocked. Take it, my friend. And fingers crossed you can uh, get yourself back into the mix of that top table. And who knows? Who knows, mate? It might be him that gets that shot with uh, James DeGale. A little bit of a cheeky rematch. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Um, Anyway, uh, plenty more to talk about on today's show including the grand old debate of Mayweather versus McGregor. Every man and his dog's talking about it, mainly because Dana White, uh, the main man at the UFC at the weekend after UFC 211, he alluded to the fact that the deal between him and McGregor is near enough done, and therefore negotiations can start uh, between Team UFC and Team Mayweather. We're going to get the circus. We're going to get the super fight. Uh, But are there any other benefits other than cash? We'll talk about it next on Radio City Talk. You're listening to the Fight Disciples podcast. You're listening to Radio City Talk. We are the Fight Disciples. Uh, and if you've missed any part of the show today or you uh, want to subscribe to our podcast and therefore you get an extra two episodes coming your way throughout the course of each week, just go to our website, fightdisciples.com, and you can do it via iTunes. Part three, Mayweather McGregor. We seem to have been talking about this for about 25 years, mate. It's doing my head in. Absolutely doing my head in. It's, we're not quite at the Mayweather Pacquiao stage. That, that oh literally did take God. years off my life. At least this has only been the last 12. 18 months but I know what Mm. you're saying we don't seem to be getting any closer or at least we weren't until the last 24 hours absolutely at the back of UFC 211 which we'll be talking about on Thursday by the way via our website fightdisciples.com an amazing show the press conference Dana White the main man at the UFC steps up and he says Listen, we are we're basically about dotting I's and crossing T's now between ourselves and McGregor because they have to allow Connor to to fight because he's not a free agent. Uh, so they're sorting out a contract between themselves before they can get stuck into a contract with uh, Floyd Money <laughs> Mayweather. Yeah, we haven't even got mm. to Floyd stage yet. But, it's crazy. But there's that much money involved. It would be crackers of any of us who love either UFC or boxing to think that this fight won't happen. Now, we can all have our opinions of what we think of it, whether it's a circus or whether it's good for this or whether it's good for that. The obvious gain is financial, whether that be for the UFC, whether it be for Conor McGregor or whether it be for Floyd Mayweather or whether it be for the state of Las Vegas or wherever this is actually held. There will be a lot of money flowing around this particular fight. So there's one obvious benefit. When there's that much money involved, stuff like this just happens. Take that for granted. But are there any other positives involved uh, other than the finances? Does this benefit boxing? Does this benefit the world of mixed martial arts and the UFC? Does it benefit either either guy? Where can you see the benefits other than pounds and pence? Um, I think the benefits purely are down to both um, both Mayweather and the UFC, Mayweather Promotions and the UFC, being able to be attached to what will be the richest fight in the history of sports. Um, 
you know, and uh, I genuinely do think it will hit pay-per-view numbers that will even dwarf Mayweather versus Pacquiao. I'm talking, you know, upwards of five, six million pay-per-view, hmm. uh, both obviously worldwide. I think it will just go absolutely bonkers. I think we'll get a world tour. I think we'll be lucky if it happens at the back end of this year. I think it's more likely to end, uh, sorry, go down at the beginning of 2018 because I think they're just going to need that much press and that much of a world tour to promote the living daylights out of it. But, you know, Dana White came out yesterday and was like, basically, we've negotiated. And from what we're hearing, Conor McGregor's going to gonna be, you know, richer to the tune of about $75 million. Hmm. And Mayweather's end of the bargain's going to be upwards of $100 million, which is basically what he, he ended up with for, for Pacquiao. This, that's why this fight's happening. That's the only reason Mayweather's coming back is because he can, he can equal or even improve on the money he made against Manny Pacquiao. And that was the only way he was ever going to come back because... You know, he's all about the money at the end of the day. And I think the UFC have realised that they can't stop this. They, You know, there was there was issues initially when, when they basically said, no chance, it's never going to happen. Uh, when Conor started getting a boxing licence and then people were talking about the Muhammad Ali Act and if he forced the UFC's contract into a courtroom, this might happen and that might happen. So the UFC have kind of gradually changed their tune and now they're saying, right, we're doing this for Conor. Conor deserves it. He's been brilliant for us as a company. So we've kind of jumped on board with this boxing match for him. And we're going to make sure he gets the best deal possible. And $75 million for a one-off fight is certainly the best deal possible. Regarding the actual action in the ring. So let's say this gets this gets made and this is boxing. It's a long way off, I think, as well, you know, because we haven't even... Mayweather hasn't even agreed yet. We haven't got a TV deal sorted yet, I'm guessing. You know, I'm hmm. guessing the UFC have probably spoken to Fox, who they've got a long-standing relationship with. But obviously, hmm. Mayweather's got a relationship with with HBO and Showtime, so he's with Showtime, so he's tied in there. So I don't even know whether that conversation's happened yet. We we may well be days, or that may have been done. We may be days, maybe weeks. We may even still be months away from this thing getting announced. But the great thing is, it seems like the UFC are happy that they've got what they wanted for Conor McGregor. Now it's about appeasing Mayweather, and then it's a case of putting it out to tender in in terms of TV and venue. Don't forget, there's still a mm. venue debate to be had. Let's say then all that gets ironed out, and this fight is on. W- who benefits then from a sporting angle? Does anybody benefit from a sporting angle? Because the majority of people that we would speak to would say this is an absolute farce. It's a circus. It doesn't do anything for boxing. It just doesn't do really anything. We don't learn anything more about mixed martial arts. Does it do anything from a sporting angle? I think for from a fight sport in general angle, it's it's massive because we're going to get so many fans that aren't necessarily fight fans on a on a weekend basis like we are. You know, they're not committed to to watching MMA or even or boxing or both like we are. I think we're going to get a lot of eyeballs on the sport, and if it's a spectacle, if it's engrossing, if it's entertaining, if the whole theatre around it is something that people are happy with and, and, and connect with, then it's great for us. You know, from, from, from our perspective as, as hosts of the Fight Disciples, this, this is like a dream come true. You know, this is what we want. We want the biggest events. We want, we want people to be thinking, I'm not watching a Super Bowl this year. I'd rather watch this because it's going to be more entertaining. And, you know, this is going to be the biggest spectacle sports scene, purely down to the fact that you've got the biggest pay-per-view star in the history of boxing going up against the biggest pay-per-view star in the history of mixed martial arts. And mm. they're coming together, you could argue, still very much at the peak of their powers, both inside and outside of competition. 
the press conferences itself are going to be worth paying tickets for and i wouldn't be surprised if the press conferences alone were streamed for cash on the internet you have to pay to watch the press conference that would not surprise me if Conor, and this is, I'm just um, spitballing here, right? So don't be texting and tweeting as saying, oh, Adam thinks M- M- McGregor's going to knock him out. No, I'm just giving you a scenario, yeah? So let's say Conor McGregor knocks out Floyd Mayweather. <laughs> Floyd Mayweather is 49 and 0. 49 actual boxers have gone in the ring with him, elite level, um, and not been able to crack the code. A man from a different code comes in and knocks him clean out, right? What does that do for the for the sport of boxing? Um, it's it's quite hard to comprehend. To mm. be totally honest with you, you know, it, it seems so fantasy. But you you know, there's obviously they say there's a puncher's chance. Uh, you know, I hate that terminology. In, in, yeah, but this in, is true. This is exactly what this chance is. Let's be straight. That is the chance. He can hit. He's got a cracking left hand. Nobody hits like him. And the way that he throws that punch and the way that he moves in the world of the UFC. In the UFC. May- Mayweather's not going to have experienced that type of movement because he is. He's not a. He's not a boxer. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like fighting an untrained guy in yeah, a way. Yeah. That's exactly which is, what it's like. Which is what most boxers, as we've spoke about on our podcast on many times, most boxers won't do that even in the gym. They only tra- they only would train with somebody that is trained in the art of the sweet science. They wouldn't just take a kid off the street and say, right, I'll fight you, because they're so unpredictable, you don't know what they're going to do. That is technically McGregor in this fight. Yeah, and that might make it entertaining because Floyd might get him out oh, you know what, I'm going to get him out of here quick because he's so unorthodox. He's not a professional boxer. I don't. I can't predict what he's going to do. You know, if I hit him with a one-two, he's supposed to cover. He's supposed to do this. But you know, this is how his body should react. He's he's a boxer. He's you know he's been mm. doing it. Mayweather may uh, Fl- McGregor may not do that because he's used to getting hit with a one-two and shooting for a double leg or throwing a leg <laughs> kick or whatever. So does that slight? Can you imagine? Know, can you imagine? Kick the legs that, from under him. Well, yeah. If if that automatic instinct in Conor McGregor just kicks in and he kicks him in the head or something, because that might happen. It, it's it's crazy, it, you know. When it first started getting talked about, it was a joke, and then we've we've got sucked into this whole circus of it being such a spectacle, and it will be. And I'm looking forward to it because it will be a spectacle. It will be like a real incredible circus act. However, coming back down to the fundamentals of what it is, and that's a professional boxing match. I'm guessing over ten. Maybe twelve rounds. If they, can, I don't think it. Can get yeah, it. I, I, I don't think it can be. I think it's got to be about eight rounds, mate, because Connor's only used to fighting twenty-five minutes. Yeah, it would be interesting to see. But at the end of the day, money talks, isn't it? You know, and at the end, if if it's going to be in Nevada, then, and it'd be hard to see it going anywhere else. It's likely to be in Nevada. That's where that's where Floyd's made all his money, and that's where obviously the casinos put all these big bids in for these for these incredible events. You know, they it will. It's un, unlikely to be anywhere except Las Vegas. However. Hmm. You know, if if the, if the Las Vegas Nevada State Athletic Commission dig the heels in and start saying, "Well, we want to do this," and it can only be eight rounds, and it can only be that, you better believe the casinos in Macau will be like, "Come over here and do whatever you like," and the Middle East and you know every other major sporting area where there's a lot of money floating around will be like, "Come over here and fight twelve rounds. Do whatever you want to do. It's up to you. You know, fight at four o'clock in the morning if you want to." So we want we won't be short on potential destinations for this fight but fundamentally it comes down to the same thing it's 10 12 rounds of the greatest boxer of this generation going in against a complete novice 
And when you when you think of it like that, when you think of it like that, it's not even a matchup. It's not even it's not even a contest. And you know, we've had former world cha- former world title contenders, the South African guy who sparred with McGregor. There's been other people that sparred with McGregor and said, "Oh yeah, he's good for a mixed martial artist. For yeah. a UFC guy, this guy's a really good boxer." And then as soon as Mayweather's name gets mentioned, they're like, well, no, absolutely no chance. You know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, I, I thoroughly agree that Conor McGregor would not win the Irish welterweight belt right now. He wouldn't win it. He'd lose. No. He wouldn't win that fight. So how the, how the hell is he going to beat Floyd Mayweather? Well, he's got that big left up, man. <laughs> that, that big left straight. <laughs> Because I love it. The, I'm a huge Connor fan. I'm a huge Mayweather this, fan. This, and, and the yes. drama, and the, we want him to. Of course, we want him to catch Floyd early on. We want him to rock him. My goodness, we we even want him to put him down. But I can't. I just can't see it. I just can't see. You say Mayweather's never faced anyone with this kind of style before. Yeah, he's beat 49 other professional fighters that are far more technically better than Conor McGregor that will have mm. tried everything. It's easy to say, oh, yeah, but when he fought Oscar De La Hoya, obviously Oscar's this and this. Yeah, but Oscar's also a former multiple time, five-weight world champion with more mm. experience than ever. And if he thought Mayweather's guessing what I'm doing now, he would have done something unconventional. He would have done something unorthodox himself. I'm sure people have tried to do that against Mayweather, change the different stances or just like, try anything. Mayweather, believe me, Mayweather has seen it all. And when it comes down to it, it's not really a competitive fight. But let's not that take let's not let that take away from what is going to be one hell of a spectacle. Mm, the, the whole build-up, absolutely. It's going to be I think I, Well, I'm at that stage, and this is the beauty of it, right? There's the, there's doubt, right? And that and that is the thing that intrigues me by the fight. There's doubt. Yeah, all right, I can sit here all day, and 95% of me will go, Mayweather is going to do what Mayweather does. Look at his face. There's a reason why they called him Pretty Boy at the start of his career. All right, he's made a boatload of cash now, so they call him money. But he doesn't get hit. He knows he's probably the best defensive technician that I've well that we've ever seen really in yeah. in all the generations of boxing. Absolutely yeah. sensational. Can somebody crack that? Well, Forty Nine have failed previously. This guy coming from a different world. Can he crack it? And that's the that's where it is. I don't know. I don't know. And that 5%, maybe less than 5%, is in the back of my head going, if he catches him, what's going to happen? Yeah. What would happen if an unconventional guy off the street caught Floyd Mayweather bang on the the button? Because he's the bigger guy. Connor's the bigger guy. Yeah. He's bigger, he's taller, he's broader. And if you follow follow UFC... Yeah, if you follow UFC and follow Conor McGregor... He very. If you look at him, he only has to tap people with that left hand. He only has to tap. Yes, okay. There's no gloves on there. I was going to say four ounce gloves. There's a bit of a yeah. difference. Yeah. Uh, he only has to tap people, and they're going over. I mean, I've watched him hit guys, and he's nowhere near it. Him clean. He's hit him like round the back of the head. He's hit him near the ear. He's you know he's not hit him clean on the button, and they've gone. End yeah. of. So he's obviously got something in that left hand. Yeah. So going back to what you said maybe five minutes ago in this conversation, he's got a puncher's chance. He genuinely does. And that is where that element of doubt comes in. Please, don't be quoting me and sticking me all over the internet going, oh, this clown thinks that McGregor's going to go in there and do him. No, I don't. I don't think that that's going to happen. 95, 
96, 97% of me is going to go, I actually think the fight will be quite boring. I think May- Mayweather will be on on his toes. He'll skip around him. He'll box and move. He'll jab his head off. End of, end of the day, he'll win by a unanimous decision, winning every single round. Job done. But, but, there's that element of 2 3% that goes... What if? And that is the thing that is now flogging this fight where I'm getting right into it thinking, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see him just catch him and see what happens. I think um, the the more we get to talk about it, the more closer it gets to actually happening as well. I actually think it's going to be thrilling. I actually think it's going to be a little bit of a gun show. And by that I mean, I think Mayweather is going to is going to want to get McGregor out of there he isn't going to want to carry him for 10 and 12 rounds like he has done previously and, and, and hit and not get hit because Connor is so unorthodox and because Connor is is bigger and technically Mayweather boxes the socks off him all day but I just think Mayweather's going to think why bother carrying him into 10, 12 rounds whatever it may so be so you think this is going to be a macho thing this so is I, going to be a situation where he's going to go it's a I'm macho thing I think it's more a case of he's going to allow Conor McGregor to open up because that's all Conor can do. Conor's going to come out and start throwing bombs and try and catch Floyd. But I think Floyd is going to counter those bombs with bombs of his own. I think he's going to let McGregor throw that big long left hand, slip to the side and hit him with four or five punches and still be there. And then McGregor's going to cut, you know, get himself back together, confidence back up. He's going to load up another big left hand and Floyd will slip the other way and hit him with another four or five punches. What we've seen Floyd do previously is slip shots, hit one, two and move away. Slip shot, hit one, two, move away or pick lead right hands, single shots and coast through rounds. I don't think we'll see that against McGregor. I think we'll see him slipping shots, unloading four and five punches, trying to hurt McGregor, trying to get him in a position where he's vulnerable and then finish the fight, like he used to do in the old uh, Pretty Boy Floyd days. I think we're going to see more of a Pretty Boy Floyd performance in this one than a money performance, because that that as well silences the doubters that go, oh, this is your 50th fight and you're going to fight a guy with zero boxing experience. How does that match up against Rocky Marciano? What he does is he destroys the UFC two-division champion inside four rounds and then says there you go I'm the biggest star on the planet and don't you forget it and on that note we finished today's show thank you so much (laughs) for your time I've no doubt that debate is going to continue uh, and roll and roll and roll Uh, next week we hope to get um, the man that captained the uh, British um, Olympic squad uh, Anthony Fowler into the studio for a little bit of a chat because he is making his professional debut in a stadium fight at Bramall Lane on the uh, undercard of Brook versus Spence Jr on the undercard of Groves versus Chudinov two massive world title fights and our is making his uh, professional debut with the, under the tutelage of David Cowell. So we're dead excited for him, um, and hopefully we'll get a little bit of a chat with him in the studio on next week's show. So make sure you come and join us uh, for that. If you've missed any part of today's programme, uh, go to fightdisciples.com. It'll be available for you to download. Uh, you can also uh, subscribe to our podcast for absolute freeness. Doesn't cost you a penny. Episode 101 and episode 102 will be available for you on Wednesday and Thursday of this week, talking about the world of boxing and, of course, looking back at UFC 211. We will catch you next time. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe via iTunes.